0: Summer went by really, really fast. So, does it get faster the older you get? (laughs) Yeah, because it feels like it just blinks and it's over. And school's starting, and um, sorry for that. (laughs) But uh, I'm excited for that. Um, You too, yeah. I'm a little sad actually because Mercy's going to school, so that makes me a little sad uh, that she's grown up really, really quickly. Um, Very, very quickly. I would like to read from Isaiah. This is coming from Isaiah 5. This is coming from a long long time ago. This is Isaiah speaking. I'll sing a ballad to the one I love, a love ballad about his vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard, a fine, well-placed vineyard. He hoed the soil and pulled the weeds, and planted the very, 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 very best vines. He built a lookout, built a wine press, a vineyard to be proud of. He looked for a vintage yield of grapes. But for all his pains, he got junk grapes. Now listen to what I'm telling to you, who lived in Jerusalem and Judah, what do you think is going on between me and my vineyard? Can you think of anything I could have done to my vineyard that I didn't do? When I expected good grapes, why did I get bitter grapes? Well, now let me tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I'll tear down its fence, let it go to ruin. I'll knock down the gate and let it get trampled. I'll turn it into a patch of weeds, untended, uncared for. Thistles and thorns will take it over. I'll give orders to the clouds. Don't rain on that vineyard ever. Don't you get it? The vineyard of God, the angel armies, is the country of Israel. All the men and women of Judah are the garden he was so proud of. He looked for a crop of justice and saw them murdering each other. He looked for a harvest of righteousness and heard only the moans of victims. It's a little grisly. But I want you to imagine a piece of land even if you imagine kind of that vineyard that you just saw, that's, that's great. But imagine a piece of land. I imagine like some Tuscan hillside somewhere, kind of the sun setting on the, on the kind of the rolling mountains and this kind of view that you can see. And there's a, maybe the Mediterranean in the background, but it's like this perfect piece of land. And the landowner comes and he says, ah, oh, this is it. I've been looking for this, for this plot, this very plot. I like the view. I like the soil. I like the pH. I like how it feels. I know the climate, I know the temperature, this is is perfect. I am going to build my vineyard here. And so the the landowner, he kind of purchases the land, he kind of clears it away, he marks the lines in the soil and where he's going to plant, and he starts that kind of grueling process of plowing out the earth, planting his seeds, maybe putting in some little shoots, probably, you know, erecting little twigs and sticks to make sure those shoots grow up nice nice and healthy. And he, he labors at this beautiful vineyard that he's planted, and he's enjoying the work. It's hard work, but he but he's feel he feels satisfied. As the days and weeks goes on, he he's he's planted his rose and he says, Perfect. This is great. My plants are planted, but I need a fence. I want to keep the animals and the fawns and the deers and the rabbits and and whoever, the, mar- the marauders, the thieves, I want to keep them out to protect my beautiful vineyard. So he goes around and he starts drilling posts into the ground. And he starts attaching those posts to, to fences or something. And he-, and he puts a fence around his vineyard. Great, he says. I've got the land, I've got the view, I've got the grapes growing. The fence is protected, but it needs a wine press. Now, he's a smart Farmer. He's a smart landowner. He knows that the crop is going to take years to come in, probably three or four seasons until these plants are ready for harvest. But he's so excited. He can't wait. So he builds a wine press. He digs a hole in the ground. He kind of buttresses it with wood and he kind of stomps it down and is ready to go. He's excited. And as he's doing this work, he's imagining, oh, that, that These grapes are going to come off so juicy, so, so good, so sweet. And he's imagining all the wonderful things he's going to do with these grapes. The juice, the vinegars, the wines, maybe the jellies. He's excited. One more thing, he says, a watchtower. I've got the, the crops, got the fence, got the wine press. I need something to keep watch over this thing to see if there's anyone coming in the distance, is there any animals coming from far? Got to protect it. So he builds a watchtower. And as he's kind of climbing up as he's building, he can see the vista and the view and he can see the work that he's done and he is proud. He's happy, he's excited, he's expectant. But the landowner was never intending to actually harvest this land. He takes some resumes, and he's like, I- I'm ready to go, but I, I actually want to le- lease this out to farmhands, to someone else. They're going to they're gonna do the work. I'm going to come back. I'm going to collect some of the profits. It's going to be great. And so he takes some resumes. He finds some people, and the men that he hires, they're happy to go into that vineyard and do all the work that's required to make sure his crop comes in. Very standard practice. And after four years or so, three or four seasons, he would come back, take a share of the crop, and they keep the rest. That's, that's kind of the agreement. And so the weeks and the months pass and the years pass. The man is kind of always thinking about his, his land and his farm. And finally, it's time to harvest. He, he knows the grapes have come in, so he can't go himself, so he sends his servant to go to the vineyard. His servant can go on his behalf, representing him, his identity, his land, full full rights, full ownership. The servant comes to the land, comes to the property, comes to the gate. He's being heralded down by the person in the watchtower. Someone's here, they shout. He's here to collect. The man servant knocks on the fence, the gate's open, and he's welcomed in, not with kindness or warmth, but with furrowed brows and anger. What are you doing here, the farmhands say. Well, I'm I'm here to collect my master's profits from the harvest. No, you're not, they say. And they grab the man by the shoulder, and they push him around, and they push him to the floor, they give him some kicks and some stomps. They say, get out of here. You don't get anything. Don't come back. The servant gets up dusts himself off returns back to his master when the master hears of what had happened he's greatly greatly disturbed he's upset he says okay well then i'll send another servant surely there's a mistake something's wrong a bad day another servant can go so he sends another servant servant climbs up that hill looks over the vista someone in the watchtower calls Someone else is here. He sent another one. This time, he doesn't even need to knock. The gate opens. The, man is, the servant is dragged into the vineyard. And this time, their, their teeth are foaming. They're angry. Their eyes are, are, are black and dark. What are you doing here, they say. The servant stutters, I'm, I'm here for my master's prophets. I'm here for the harvest. No, you're not, they say. And the servants, the hired hand, the farmhands, they take this man and they give him a beating. Far more severe than the first one. They beat him. They hit him. And they take their, their rods and they strike him across the head. A huge, an insult. The, the man is bleeding and hurt. And they throw him out. Don't come back. This is our harvest. It's our land. Don't, don't bother coming back. The servant returns home. Now the landowner is quite perturbed, quite upset. So he sends another servant. And the same fate befells this one. He sends another servant. And then they kill the next one. And another, and another, and another. Finally, the the, the landowner says, I don't know what is going on with my vineyard. I have one thing left that I can do. I'll send my son. Surely my son will be received. Surely they'll listen to my own heir. So the the landowner sends his son. The son walks up the hill to the vista. He can see the fence. He can see the watchtower. But this time, the people in the watchtower recognize him and say, Hey! It's his heir. He sent, the, farm, the, the landowner has sent his son. He climbs down the watchtower. They conspire in this huddle. And they whisper to each other, look, 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 look. We've been here over four years. Technically, this land is ours. We own it. That's the law. He hasn't been here for this long. It's ours. All we have to do is kill the heir in this crop. And this land is ours. So the sun comes up to the gate. The gate opens wide. They drag the sun in. Before the sun can say anything or do anything, they beat him to a bloody pulp. They kill him in the process. And then they take his body and they just chuck it over the fence. When the landowner hears what had happened to his son, he finally arrives. And he doesn't come alone. He comes with a force, a force of people that burst into the vineyard and wipe clean everyone who had been working there. And he takes them all out. He destroys them. And behind that destruction, a new wave of people are taken to the land. A new wave of tenants and the story is over Jesus says what do you think the owner of the vineyard will do right he'll come and clean house then he'll assign the care of the vineyard to others read it for yourself in the scriptures the stone that the masons threw out is now the cornerstone. This is God's work. We rub our eyes. We can hardly believe it. They, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, the religious leaders of Jerusalem, they wanted to lynch him right there and then, ironically, but they were intimidated by the public opinion and held back. They knew the story was about them. They got away from there as fast. As they could. This is a parable of the vineyard. This is Jesus, is Jesus' parable, his story. As he's entered in Jerusalem, as he's come in on a colt, he's the hosanna, the clearing the temple. Now he's kind of sitting and he's talking and he's preaching, and we get into kind of at least for Mark some of the longest kind of preaching that you're going to find in Mark's gospel. Jesus point after point after point, he just goes one after the other. And this story in particular is, is interesting as it ties to even our, our VBS experience with Joseph. So last week, if you were here, if you are like all of our stuff is gone now, but the story of Joseph we were doing at VBS and kind of how Joseph kind of starts as this boy with a dream and he gets thrown into the well and then he's sold out as a slave and then he works for Potiphar and he does a good job and he's put back in jail and then, and then finally he's put in charge of, of Egypt to save Egypt and inadvertently save his family, and save the blessing that God had given Abram, oh, so many years ago, that his family would become the nation that would bless the whole world, that his tribe, his, his people, would bless the world through them. God would be known through the nation of Israel. But the story of Joseph is, it ends on a, on a high note, but then kind of really goes really weird and sad, because the land that Joseph resides in with Jacob, becomes the land in which they eventually become enslaved in. And so for 400 years after Joseph, 350 depending how you count, these people, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, are enslaved by the Egyptians. And it's a long, like imagine 400 years, it's a long time. It's a long, long, long time. And if you put ourselves in that place, as those people they don't have the scriptures they don't have the torah they don't have scrolls they don't have churches or synagogues or temples they don't have priests they have just just their faith just the stories of their ancestors that's it their faith in the god of one and the and the tradition of their family that's what we're dealing with here and so this, the, the long or the short of it is Moses comes after 400 years, frees the Israelites, the Red Sea parts, beautiful, big, beautiful stories. But then there's this problem these people who are relying on their kind of their meager, small faith they come to Mount Sinai and God speaks to them and they hear him. But they don't want to talk back to God, they're scared. God terrifies them. And they say, you know, we don't want to talk to God. Moses, you talk to God for us. And Moses becomes a prophet. He speaks for God, on behalf of God, to his people. And Moses sets this template, this pattern, this this like, these people kind of giving away their relationship to God directly they expect now that God will speak through prophets and so they get prophets prophet after prophet after prophet speaking for God to his people on behalf of God sometimes future casting telling what's going to happen in the future sometimes warning like if you do this this is going to happen most of the time it's chastisement you're you're doing the wrong thing you're going in the wrong direction Prophet after prophet for hundreds of years. My name, Amos, comes from the prophet Amos. and I love that guy. I want to meet him one day. Because he's spunky and fiery and he's brave and courageous. Not, not like me. And a farmer, which yeah, I'm not a farmer either. All these guys, most of these people. This is also why I like Amos. He wasn't killed. <laughs> But most of the prophets lost their lives, were beaten up, were thrown away. Their voice was totally ignored. They're, they're, they're considered hostile to the nation that they were actually speaking to. And then the final prophet comes. The son comes. The Messiah comes, the chosen one, the transfigured one. With the power to forgive and heal and raise the dead, he comes and they do the same thing to him, but worse, they kill him. And in this story in Mark, Jesus is saying, Look, Israel, look, religious leaders, this story of the vineyard. God planted this beautiful vineyard, it was going to bear beautiful, delicious fruit. And I sent God, the Father sent servant after servant after servant after servant to help reap that harvest. And those time, time and time and time and time again, those people were thrown out. Then Jesus takes on this, and this part of the story is radical, radical mantle on his shoulder to imply that he is now the heir of the vineyard. These folks knew the prophet Isaiah. They knew Isaiah 5. They knew the story. They knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. And now Jesus is saying, look, imply, here I am, son, come, and you're going to do the same thing to me. And the irony is that by Jesus saying that, they get even more hostile towards him. It's like self-fulfilling, and had they been able to, they would have killed them right there, but they couldn't. They're cowards. They're they're afraid, afraid of the mob, so they pick their spot another time. Mark tells us that, and this story is dark. It's dark. It's it's kind of terrifying. kind of doesn't make sense. And the, as I was preparing for it, I was reading through it and reading through commentaries, and like, some people actually question the legitimacy of this story because it actually is so nonsensical. Some scholars think this story is actually not true. It's, it's extra biblical, it can't be in the scriptures because it actually doesn't make any sense. What good landowner in this story would send his own son after all of his servants had been killed? It, it's ridiculous, it's nonsense. So clearly it can't be right. It can't be true. But that is the reckless, extravagant, wild love that God had for his people. That he would send his own son for a one last chance at redemption. Correction. It doesn't make a lot of sense. The gospel doesn't make a lot of sense. In a moment, we're going to have some communion and a time of prayer. But the question that kind of resonated with me as it just kind of distilled as I was driving in is, do you see the sun, me? Where, where am I in this story? What, what character? What part of the story? Am I, am I the person who's angry? I'm expecting something else. I'm, I want to own the vineyard. I want to take possession of it. It's mine, rightfully mine. And when the sun comes, I don't even recognize him or care. Am I, the, am I on the other side of this story? Am I the one who's like, I, I know the sun and I'm now in the vineyard as it's been cleaned? Cleaned out, start anew. When you see the sun in the story, who do you see? What's great about this story, as all gospel stories, is it doesn't it doesn't end there. So in this part of Mark's gospel, I, I again I've told you this a thousand times, I love Mark's gospel. I wish I could articulate better what I feel in terms of the tension of Mark's gospel as it just gets closer and closer and closer to the crucifixion. You could just feel the vibrancy, the vibration of the story. You could just feel it. I, can just, I could just see the clenched teeth of the religious leaders. And just want to, they just want to kill Jesus right there. And they would have in public had they had the chance. The hatred, the anxiety, it just kind of builds and builds and builds and resonates to this bloody climactic end of Christ's death. But the story doesn't end there. He dies. The the man's thrown over the fence. He's put in the tomb. He's cast aside. He has no proper burial. It's shameful. It's humiliating. He's abandoned. And yet, three days later, he walks out of the tomb, alive, resurrected, defeating death. You can't kill the son of the master of the vineyard. It Doesn't work. Nice try. Jesus, here I am, and I've made all things new, and I've reset the whole board, and I've cleared out that vineyard, And I welcome in new workers for the harvest. And the invitation, even this morning, even now, is that gate is wide open. And at any moment, the master of that vineyard invites us in to cooperate with his son in this beautiful, bountiful harvest that he is ready to pick. So in a moment, I would like to um, have communion, and I would like to uh, pray for our friend Paul. Um, I didn't think this through very well. Mike, do you have any music? Sure, let's do that quietly. Jen is like the best, and fills in all the gaps. I'm not very good at that. So I'm going to read through Jesus' kind of the Last Supper. And I'm going to invite you to come on up uh, and grab uh, the emblems. And if you're not able, we can, we can bring some to you. And in your own time, for a few minutes, just take the Lord's Supper as, as you would, as you will, in your own spirit. Um, you can pray quietly with those around you, that's fine. Or you can do it in, in the quiet of, of the morning. But I just, I, all this said, the story of this vineyard said, we get to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. The fact that we have communion today, we're not celebrating a death. We're not eating a dead body. We're, we're, we're celebrating the resurrection as a remembrance of what had happened. That the son of the vineyard, the landowner, he, he can't be killed. And he's alive and he's present even now. And so it comes from Mark, in the course of their meal, having taken and blessed the bread... Jesus broke it and gave it to them. He said, take this, my body. Taking the chalice, he gave it to them, thanking them, or thanking God. And they all drank from it. He said, this is my blood. God's new covenant poured out for many people. I will not be drinking wine again until the new day when I drink it in the kingdom of God. They sang a hymn, and then they went to Mount Olive's. Jesus, we thank you that we can be present together in community on this long weekend. We thank you that we can be present together in your story. We thank you that even um, these dark, grueling stories laid out in your scripture and in your narrative, are they don't end with death. They end with life. We thank you that your extravagant love for your people is Is endless, seemingly irrational, nonsensical, where it doesn't even make any good sense for you to continue to love us. You do. When it doesn't make any good sense to continue on with your plan to reap a harvest from the earth, you do. We thank you that you sent the sun to the vineyard. We thank you that. Your son did not die and uh, did not stay dead. We thank you for resurrection life. I pray now, even in this moment, uh, those who are here feel drawn into the gates of that vineyard to be a part of your work and harvest, that they have courage to walk through, and that they would see you for who you are, the rightful heir of God's throne full of love and mercy and compassion and grace. We thank you for this in your name. Amen.